I am so glad that you are here today. There is no better place where you can find hope, joy, strength, real love, and freedom than in church. So come on, put your hands together that you're here, whether you're online or in person. I'm excited. Today's going to be a good day. And you know what? Uh, we are going to start a brand new series today called Red Skies, Signs of the Times. We're going to talk about how the world is changing at a pretty rapid rate. In fact, quicker than most of us are comfortable with. And uh, that can sometimes leave us feeling a little bit unsure or overwhelmed or feeling unsure, especially about the future. And in fact, right now, as you watch culture or you're talking to your friends or in the spaces that you live in, or maybe even you're watching the news, you may be asking yourself this question, what in the world is going on right now? I mean, right, has anybody been asking that question lately in the last couple of years? What in the world is going on? I mean, like, you know, are we approaching the end of the world? Or is everyone losing their minds? Tell me that in the last couple of years you've thought to yourself like I have, I think people are losing their minds. I mean, like, what's going on? Or, or our culture is imploding or we're heading towards an apocalypse. And, and what does the Bible have to say about all of this? Well, you know what? As a pastor, I will tell you, I've been asked these questions more in the last three years than in the last three decades, literally. And it is, there's a fuzzy on my mic. I cannot, okay, there you go. <laughs> you know, I mean, recently, actually, they've done some studies, some surveys, and even I read an article last week that um, there is overall concern right now, the state of our union. Uh, there was another study that recently came out about a year ago, talked about our youngest generation, Generation Z. Those are individuals that are younger than age 25. They are feeling very anxious about the future that us adults are handing them in some ways. Uh, mental health issues have been on the rise. You know that, right? Especially through COVID. Um, we're either in a recession or heading into a recession, depending on who you talk to in, in, in Washington, D.C., um, and there, there seems to be overall just an anger, a division, an animosity, friction in our culture. It's like we're on a knife's edge, you know? And in general, there seems to just be this overall thought that we as a nation are trending in the wrong direction. So what in the world is going on, right? Well, we're calling this series Red Skies, Signs of the Times. You might say, where does this come from? Red skies, signs of the times. Well, there's a story. It's kind of a hidden story. In fact, a lot of people that maybe have gone to church for a long time don't even know about the story. But Jesus is being confronted again by the religious leaders of the day. They were called Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to ask him trick questions and all these things. And they're doing it again. And it's found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. It says, some Pharisees and Sadducees badgered him again, pressing him to prove himself to them. He told them, you have a saying that goes, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. You find it easy enough to forecast the weather. Why can't you read the signs of the times? Now, most people don't even know that Jesus said this. But back then, fishermen, they didn't have the weather app, all right? 
They didn't know whether it was going to be choppy seas or what. And so what they would do is at night towards dusk, if the sky was red, they knew that the seas would be calm the next morning. And if they woke up and the skies were a little reddish at dawn, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, there's going to be storms today. That's how they predicted the weather. Jesus is basically looking to these religious leaders and saying, you got your weather app, but your spiritual discernment app is airing out and it needs an update. He's basically saying, you know how to read the weather, but you can't tell the signs of the times. Ultimately, he's basically going, hey, listen, I'm the Messiah. I'm standing in front of you guys. You can't even tell. You can't see the signs of the times. Yes, he's saying that, but he's also telling us as Christ followers, as people, we need to be able to read the signs of the times and know what to do. In the Old Testament, there was a tribe of Israel called Issachar, all right? Issachar is one of the, the uh, less known tribes of Israel. In fact, after they were, um, the Israelites were in captivity for 400 plus years in Egypt, and they came and they settled in the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness, they then established tribes. And each of these tribes had um, certain strengths, you could say, certain abilities, certain characteristics that those strengths would help the whole. In other words, they would contribute as a tribe to the whole nation. And so like the Levites, the Levites, they were the priests. So they were occupationally the priests that helped, you know, kind of the Israelites, you know, know God. They were the pastors. Um, The tribe of Zebulon, they were seafaring individuals. They were into shipping and trade. They were kind of like business people, you could say. Well, what were the Issacharians? What what were these, you know, tribe of Issachar? What did they do? Here were their strengths. It says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men, now listen to this, understood the signs of the times, and they knew the best course for Israel to take. In other words, their contribution was they could figure out what was going on in culture, and they would say, this is what we are to do as a nation. They had what we now call as discernment. My prayer is after this month and during this month, in this series, Red Skies, Signs of the Times, that you become an Issacharian. That you are like the uh, tribe of Issachar. That you, you know what's happening around you and you know what to do. Like if you're in business, you can see the signs of your industry and you know what to do. Or if you're parenting, you see the signs of culture and you know how to lead your children. Or if you're a student, you see the signs, the trends, what's happening at your school and you know how to live and what to do. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to understand the signs of the times and have wisdom to know what to do? You know what? God wants that for you. He wants that for you. He wants it in your workplace. He wants it at your neighborhood, your school, the gym you work out in, your family. Do you know there's signs everywhere? People are giving you signs all the time. And we have to have the wisdom to know what to do in these environments. And so, you know, a couple years ago, I wrote, or I, I read, excuse me, this, this uh, really thick book. It was called, In Their Time, The Greatest Business Leaders of the 20th Century. And what the two authors did is they studied 
a bunch of the great leaders of the last century um, in business, and they tried to find commonality. They tried to find what were the common traits that made them successful in their industries. So they studied like Henry Ford, they studied Walt Disney, Catherine Graham, Bill Gates, Martin Luther King Jr., Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, and a bunch of others, right? It was actually a fascinating read, by the way. And, uh, and you know what? Uh, they tried to, like, boil it down, distill it down. What did all these people have that made them great and successful? Well, I'm going to save you um, a bunch of hours of reading and 400 pages of text, all right? I'm going to boil it down for you. This is what they found out. Two general findings. First of all, there was no common skill or factor that tied these leaders together. So they literally were like, we can't find anything that ties together Warren Buffett and the Wright brothers. Like, we can't find anything. They all had different skills, personalities, gifts. So there wasn't like one common gift or skill. But the second thing that was a general finding is super important for us to hear. The second finding is they all had the ability to know their times and what to do. That's from the book. That's a business book. This isn't a Christian book. All of these leaders understood the signs of their times, and they knew what to do. That was a common trait. God wants his people, regardless of their profession, whether they're a pastor or whether they're a teacher, a doctor, a tradesman, a stay-at-home parent, it doesn't matter if you're a barista or a janitor or whatever you are, he wants you to understand the times the space that you're living in, the greater space that you're living in, and to know what to do. Most importantly, what to do for him. What to do for him. So, what in the world is going on right now? 2023. Can you believe it? We made it past Y2K. And guess what? We are here in 2023. What are the signs? What are the signs? Today, I want to focus on one sign. I'm going to focus on a sign every week. All right, I want to focus on a sign that many of us have seen, and that is that the American church is in decline, that it's dying, that it is becoming extinct. That is a sign that we have been told, that we're seeing. And what are we to do about that? What are we to do? Now, I'm sure many of you have heard the studies. You've seen that, you know, that the American church is drifting, um, that people in America are drifting from Christian values. You can call it a biblical worldview into an atheistic worldview. In other words, not believing there is a God. Well, let me tell you, I've spent the last three years doing a deep dive into a lot of these studies, especially for the younger generations and how they are reacting, all right? And I will tell you that some of these studies are incredibly accurate. And some of these studies are not. Like, the church is, in America, attendance-wise, in-person attendance, is in decline, especially after COVID. Now, online, it's through the roof. Um, but I will tell you, in person, it has been in decline. Some churches and denominations, especially mainline denominations, are in a steep decline. And other organizations, like other Christian organizations, are, in some ways, they are um, becoming a little bit more drifting and, and, and not as, as front and center. And many Americans are departing from what is called organized religion. That's a fact. That is, there's studies, all kinds of studies that are showing that. But also, some of these studies are being misinterpreted. 
Like, for example, the misinterpretation of that America is predominantly atheist. Like, people are believing there is no God. That's not true. Actually, a Pew Research study just came out about a year ago or so, and that atheism has increased, listen, from 2% of the American population, 2, to 4% in a decade from 2009 to 2019. So it literally, those people in America that say, I don't believe there's a God, 4% of the population. That does not mean that the other 96% of the population are Christian. That doesn't mean that. But my point is, is this, sometimes we're given the impression everybody in America doesn't believe in God anymore, doesn't believe there's a God. That's just absolutely not true. In fact, deep down inside, many people still believe there is a God and will call on him in times of trouble. There was a um, huge sign, huge sign, City First, a huge sign in our nation that took place on January 2nd. It was so loud, it was screaming at us, and yet most people didn't notice it or hear it much beyond the moment. But I will tell you, it was loud, and it was a sign that we as Christians must pay attention to. Here's the sign. Tonight, the sports world grinding to a halt after a devastating injury during Monday Night Football. And now players, coaches, and millions across the world praying for a miraculous recovery for Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin. Our Jory Rand joins us live with the latest details on this tragic event and new reaction from a medical expert and from across the sports world. Jory? Yeah, David, 24-year-old Damar Hamlin nearly died on the field tonight. It seemed like a harmless play early in this Monday Night Football game, and Hamlin even stood up after the hit. But he then collapsed and his heart stopped right there on the spot. We are awaiting official word from the hospital in Cincinnati tonight. But the Buffalo Bills just put out a brief statement on Twitter that reads DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. It's as positive an outcome as could be hoped for after what turned into a terrifying situation. Now, some of you were maybe even watching that game on Monday night, and you saw literally on live television where DeMar hit somebody, fell down, stood up, and then fell down motionless. And it was shocking. It was terrifying. I mean, literally, if you were watching it, you just felt it in your stomach. The announcers literally didn't know what to say. They were fumbling. These professionals were fumbling all over themselves, trying to figure out what to say, because literally, DeMar Hamlin was on the field, live on national television, dying in front of millions of people. And the teams huddled immediately. They took a knee, and they huddled, and they began to pray. Then later on that night, on ESPN's NFL Live, another sign happened. This is that sign. Um, football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm -hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it. It is. Damar Hamlin right, right now. Um, 
I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. Do you just see what just happened? <laughs> Do you just see what just happened? That was a sign. That was a sign. Here, here's my question. Where was the backlash to all of that? Where was cancel culture to all of that? Where were the super progressive ideological individuals that make demands that we do not believe in a God, why didn't they get on national television to respond to this and say, Bills, Bengals, those team members, get off your knees, stand up, prayer doesn't work. Where was that? There was none of that, and I'll tell you the reason why. If they would have done that, they would have been blasted by tens of millions of people who would have told them to shut up. And here's the reason why. Because it's a sign. Our nation, though we many times see a nation drifting from God, we are a nation that still rallied behind a 24-year-old football player praying that God would save his life. This is a sign. It's not a sign of revival. That's not a sign of revival. I'll tell you what it's a sign of. It's a sign that deep down on the inside, when real tragedy strikes, people believe there's a God that can help. They still believe it, ladies and gentlemen, by the tens of millions. I'm telling you, the bigger the tragedy, the more that people will unify around prayer and belief and hope in a God. In fact, you know what? That's dialed in us. We can't escape it. In fact, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Listen, he has planted what? Eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. In other words, there's something inside of each and every one of us that says there's a God there's something bigger than what I see. There's something beyond this life. I mean, listen, that's why there's only 4% of the population that doesn't believe in God. Because the vast majority of people are like, you know what? There's something out there, right? There's eternity in our hearts. They just don't know how to, how to tap into it. They don't know what it is. And listen, you got to understand this, that Christianity around the world is actually exploding. The data does not lie. It is exploding in the summer, southern hemisphere, in the east, in the Middle East, even in places like Iran. It is exploding. The only places where Christianity is struggling is in America, is in Canada, in Europe, mostly in the West. But outside of the West, 
it is growing. Now listen, because of the fact that we live in the West and we see the church attendance is drifting, we see all of the stuff that's out there pushing back against our faith, you could say, we believe we're on the losing team. But here's the thing, we're not on the losing team. We've lost home court advantage, but we are not on the losing team. You can give that a round of applause. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, this is an exciting time to be alive. This is an exciting time to be a part of God's church. This is an exciting time. And, and I know that some of you are like going, no, no, because there's a lot of this sense of like, oh, God, get us out of here. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. But no, this is exciting. The field is actually white for harvest. Many of us, we've had the signs of culture steal our confidence in that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's called us to do what he says he's called us to do. We feel like Jesus has kind of gone the way of the buffalo towards extinction. That is not true. You know, now, people, most people believe there's a God. They, they don't understand if it's a he or she or what, but they believe there's a God. And, and here's the thing. When they in, encounter tragedy, they, they search for answers. And I'll tell you what they look to. They look to things like money and success, relationships. They look to moon rocks. They looked at manifesting things into their lives. They looked at astrology, intellectualism. They looked to achievement. They looked to materialism. They looked at all kinds of things. But here's the problem with that. None of those things fit into a God-shaped hole that God has placed eternity in our hearts. It just doesn't all the way fit. I mean, it gives you a temporary sense of security and satisfaction and maybe some answers, but it doesn't all the way fit. The church, though, unfortunately, and here's the signs and what we're supposed to do, the church, unfortunately, has decided to play small. We think, well, we're losing. Look at how culture is drifting. Look at how everybody is not liking God, not liking Jesus, not liking church, not liking... So what do we do? We think we're anemic. We, we think we're losing, and so therefore we play small. Now is the time that we should actually be bold. Now is the time that we should actually be light. Now is the time. Ladies and gentlemen, you saw it in the middle of a tragedy, an ESPN commentator carefully, strategically, and wisely became bold, and guess what? People leaned in. You know what we saw during those next three weeks that people were praying for DeMar's recovery? We saw a nation actually praying, or a large portion of this nation. So we need to be bold. Now, boldness is not being obnoxious for Jesus. Some people are like, I'm going to be, you know, loud and, and about Jesus. And no, no, that sometimes just comes across as you're a jerk, okay? Don't do that. Honestly, boldness is not constantly talking about all the things that you're against in this culture. That's not boldness. In fact, listen, Jesus, Jesus, look at him as the model. When he preached and when he talked, how much did he talk about things he was against Versus things he was for. It's huge. He talked about that he was for the kingdom of God. He was for people. He was for love. He was for servant 
wholeheartedness. He was for all of these things. Yes, he talked about being against some things, but it was a very small percentage. Listen, I can build a church by talking and preaching about all the things that we're against. And guess what? I will draw all the people who agree with me, but I will not draw people far from faith. Do you hear that? Because here's the thing. We need to model and talk about that God is for them, that God wants them to have hope, wants to have life and life to the fullest, John 10.10. 10. We need to show what we're for. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for things. But my point is, is this, that a lot of times Christians in our society think we just talk about what we're against, and somehow that'll convince everyone to follow Jesus. It's not working. It's not working. Boldness is not preaching at people who don't want to be preached at. That's another thing, too. I mean, like, like literally, it, it's like you, you don't pester the people in your world that don't have faith. It doesn't make them all of a sudden go, all right, you're right. You've been a real bother to me. I will accept Jesus. They don't do that. All right? That's not how you came to faith. It's not how they will. Boldness is not trying to convince others that they're wrong. That's another thing, too. Because here's the thing. I mean, debating and, and doing all that rarely, rarely ends up being something where people will change their mind. Most of the time on debates, people just like get more entrenched into whatever views or worldviews they have. Look online. How much have online debates really moved the needle forward, right? Nada. Boldness is not just making a point. Sometimes I think as Christians, we think we just make a point. Well, we can make a point and also not make a difference. Because <laughs> making a difference is different than making a point. See, I'll tell you what boldness is. Boldness is simply living out your faith. Authentically as possible. Not perfectly, authentically as possible. In a culture that doesn't hold on to those beliefs. It truly is salt. It truly is light. In a world, but not of the world. We will always love this world, and we are always going to be antagonistic towards its ways. Do you hear that? In other words, we will cry over it, we will love it, but we won't mimic it. Instead, we will live like Jesus in it. And if you live like Jesus, sometimes you're going to get crucified. You understand that? That's a powerful thought. Some of us were like, oh, I don't know if I want to. No, listen, sometimes we need to live like Jesus. Sometimes you're going to get crucified. But can I tell you, sometimes people take notice and they find Jesus. And they see a difference in you. You're a different neighbor, a different coworker, a different fellow student. You're different at the gym. You're different when you get your Americano. You're different. Does that make sense? See, see here's the thing. Many times, many times we... Um, we, we want to see God move, but we're not, we're not willing to take that stand in, in a right type of boldness. And most of the time, you will see God move in a special way when you live rightly. Um, a survey was done in 2021 in 26 different countries, mainly asking the demographic of a teenager. Okay, So they approached teenagers in 26 countries and asked them what they personally believed about Jesus. Now, they asked the question as if Jesus is present tense also. They didn't ask like, what did you believe Jesus, who he was 2,000 years ago? So it's rather it's present tense. What do you believe about Jesus? 
What do you believe about Jesus? Here are the results, 26 countries, all right? 46% of them said that he offers hope. That's one out of every two people that don't know him, but are like, you know what, I think Jesus offers hope. 43% says that he cares about people. 38% said that he is trustworthy. 37% said he's generous. 23% said that he's making a difference in the world currently. And listen, only 10% said that he was known or is known for things that he's against. Isn't that interesting? It was mostly positive feedback. So here's my question. Will someone mistake you for Jesus today? Because we're the carriers of his name. And sometimes the only Jesus that people will ever meet is through you. So what are the signs in your workplace right now? What are the signs in your school? What about your neighborhood, your family? There are signs everywhere. And practically speaking, let me say, you're like, well, I don't know signs. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. Okay, listen. Practically speaking, here they are. Where's their hurt? Where do you sense hurt? Where do you sense struggle? Where do you sense shame? Where do you sense confusion or pain? Where do you sense that there's a need for hope? Where do you sense that there's a craving for purpose? Where do you sense there's fear? Okay, that's everywhere where we go. Those are signs. So, these are all signs, these are all opportunities, not for us to be like playing small, but instead to be able to say, God, what should I do in this space? I'm reading the signs of the times. Help me know, like the sons of Issachar, what to do. This week, Jen and I were on an annual pastoral trip with about 70 pastors from around the nation. We do it every January, and, and uh, we had a meeting, and and uh, it was in a slightly warmer climate, which was nice. And so when, uh, when you live in the Midwest, you're like, if there's a pool and it's sort of warm, we're going to try to get into it. And, um, and so we put on our swimsuits and went out to the pool. Actually, it was, it was chilly out. We didn't get in the pool, but there was a hot tub. It was a big hot tub. So we got in the hot tub, and there were all these pastors in the hot tub. There was probably like 10 people all together in this hot tub, okay? It was this big old hot tub. And so we got in, and... Um, Everyone in the hot tub was a pastor except for this couple that was there, and she was there celebrating her 40th birthday. And so as a couple, they came down there and they were celebrating. And, um, and so we were talking, and, and uh, one of the pastors asked this couple, hey, so how many kids do you have? And they kind of looked at each other, and at that moment, kind of knew in your heart a sign. There was a pause, and they said, well, we don't have any kids, but we're kind of investigating adoption. So the inference there is that they can't have children. It's a sign. And, um, and we began to talk about it in the hot tub. And she was expressing that, you know, she has a full-time career, he has a full-time career. They're trying to figure out this whole adoption process. Do they do it nationally, internationally? If it's international, it's a way bigger time com commitment. you got to go spend a month in that country, all this kind of stuff. They're talking about the financial obligations. They're just trying to figure it out. You can tell. They're just at the beginning of it. They're trying to figure it out. One of the pastors in the circle was um, adopted, and so he goes, hey, listen, I want you to know that I'm adopted, and I want you to know it was amazing, the family that I was placed with. I am who I am today because of that, and just really, I'm telling you, it was a real conversation for a hot tub. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, we're having this conversation in a hot tub right now, okay. Signs everywhere. Signs everywhere. And as we were leaving, one of the pastors, another pastor, asked 
the, the, the lady, the birthday girl, said, hey, would you mind, you're in a hot tub with a bunch of pastors, um, would you mind if we just take a moment and prayed with you about this adoption process? You can tell the lady didn't have faith. She didn't know what to do at that point, but she was like, yeah, okay. So we took a moment, and the pastor began to pray. Now listen, this is what he didn't do. He didn't go, oh, God Almighty. Like, he didn't do that, right? That would have, like, scared everyone, including the pastors. You don't have to pray. When you pray, you don't have to pray in the King James Version. And that is not true. In fact, I would encourage you, just pray normal. Just you, the way you talk. So this pastor did that. He just goes, God, we come to you, and we just pray for this amazing new friend of ours, and just pray that you would give them wisdom and open doors. And Lord, you see it in their heart. They want to adopt. And it was just a normal prayer. We got done. Amen. And we all had sunglasses on. And the lady was taking and kind of doing this underneath her sunglasses, wiping the tears away. And she simply looked up and said, thank you. And that was the end of it. Can I tell you that prayer did not take a theological or seminarian degree? That prayer did not need a deep understanding of Hebrew and Greek, the original languages of the Bible. You didn't have to like have all of your eschatology correct, which is like the study of end times. You didn't have to, you didn't have to have all of these things. In fact, you know what the, the pastor did? Just prayed a simple prayer in simple terms. And you know what? God was there. God was there. You know, <laughs> whether it's an ESPN or a hot tub, sometimes the boldest thing you can do is just pray a simple prayer for somebody. That's it. And Jesus shows up. This week, that's your assignment. Look for ways. Read the signs. You're already reading them. You already feel it. You go to work and somebody's a little tense and you're like, oh, man, must have had a bad weekend. See, it's a sign. So maybe, maybe an approach would just be to be able to just pray for them. This week, look for the signs. Radiate Jesus. As we close, many, many decades ago, in the wonderful state of Montana, when the West was still wild, <laughs> there was a group of men that were uh, mining for gold. And they were, you know, along streams and they were panning and they were digging and they were sifting and they were trying to find gold. And these prospectors made a pack, though, before they started. They said this, they go, if we strike it rich, if we find gold, we're not going to tell anybody. Because the minute we go back into town and tell everybody, all the prospectors are going to come out here and start digging for gold. And so... They're weeks and weeks and weeks into it. They're not finding anything. Finally, one of the guys finds a rock that looks a little weird. They break it open. There's gold on the inside. So they start digging in that area, and they're finding more gold and more gold. And they're like, we are striking it rich. And they're getting all excited. Well, they keep mining and digging and sifting and panning in that area. And then finally, they get to a place where they're running out of food. So they have to go back into town to get more supplies. But they looked at each other, and they said, when we go back into town, remember... Nobody tells where we're at. 
Nobody says anything about the gold. They go back into town. They get their food. They load up their wagon. They load up, load up their horses. And as they're about ready to leave town, they look behind them, and all of these other wagons are lining up behind them. All these other horses are lining up behind them with riders, and all these prospectors are going to follow them. And they're like, who leaked it? Who leaked it? And so they start asking amongst each other, and everybody's like, I didn't, I didn't. Finally, one of them looked at one of the townsmen and said, who told you that we found gold? And the townsman looked back and said, no one had to. Your faces showed it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you a sign of the times. The church of Jesus is not dying. We, as his followers, have just hidden our faces. We've just hidden our faces. You see, we felt like we're on the losing team. We're hiding our faces. Jesus, is it the rapture yet? Okay, not yet. Okay, okay. Now? Okay, not yet either. All right. God, get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I think our prayer should be, God, put us right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of the mess. Right in the middle of the hurt. Right in the middle of the pain. Right in the middle of the confusion. And let us shine. May they see it on our faces. May we pray with humility. May we live with a servant heart. May the love of Jesus shine through us. And they'll notice. Because guess what? January 2nd showed us they're already leaning in. They already believe there's probably a God. Now let us shine. So I want to encourage you this week. Pray with someone. If you can, don't force it, okay? But if there's an opportunity, may you just be like, hey, can I pray with you? Out of 30 years, and I've asked that, where if people who don't even know I'm a pastor, I've asked it. On flights, in coffee shops, I mean places, people have been like, yeah, I'd appreciate that. All right? Pray with somebody. Invite somebody to come to church. Um, maybe to a life group. Or be an encouragement. Instead of being the person at work that's known for everything you're against, be the person at work that's known for everything that God is for. Does that make sense? In the middle of the darkness, may our faces shine. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, help us to shine. God, thank you for how you turned that situation on January 2nd into a sign for this nation. There are tens of millions of people who still believe that prayer might work. Lord, help us to see that as your church. May we not be discouraged. May we not hide our faces. May we not play small. May we realize that even though we've lost home court advantage, it doesn't mean we're on the losing team. And may most of all, may the love of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the difference of Jesus shine through us to a world who's trying to fit things inside of that God-shaped hole and it just isn't fitting. Lord, do something this week in hot tubs, <laughs> on ESPN, in neighborhoods, at coffee shops, at workplaces, on job sites, in schools. May we shine.
We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Now hold tight just for a second. You can give God a round of applause if you want. But I got one minute, and I want everybody just to realize this, that this series, we're doing something kind of special. It's a four-week series that we're going to be, you know, in person during the weekends and throughout the week online and such like that. But also, throughout the week, we encourage everybody to be a part of a life group. Now, I realize some of you are being like, I don't want to go to a life I've never been to a life group before. Well, what we've done is we put together some exclusive content. I have asked some friends of mine, Charlotte Gamble, Dr. Leonard Sweet, Chris Durso. I've asked them. I've done a podcast with them. We've filmed it. And they're very short, like 15-minute podcasts that only is going to be shown in life groups, all right? And what it is is these minds that are amazing. These people love Jesus. Many of them have traveled the world. And I'm asking them, what are the signs that you're seeing right now in culture? What are you seeing in church? What are you seeing in families? What are you seeing in workplaces? And I will tell you, the content is mind-blowing. The first one this week is Charlotte Gamble. You have to hear it. But to hear it, you got to be in a life group. So if you are in in in-person location right now, there is this piece of paper that is on your seat. It has a QR code. It will give you more information about it. If you're online, there's a QR code that you can go ahead and you can screenshot and you could go to the link. If you don't find a life group that you like, ask us and there's a concierge that will help you find the right life group, whether it be in person or an e-group online. We have those too. You can be online in a group virtually and uh, many people would rather do that, okay? My point is, Get involved for four weeks, all right? For four weeks, it will be something that is very beneficial. You will love it, and you will also maybe build some pretty amazing friendships, all right? Next week, come back. It's the Super Bowl. Wear your favorite jersey. All jerseys are allowed. All jerseys are allowed. I won't say anything less than that. Okay, all right. All jerseys are allowed, all right? God bless you. We will see you next week, all right?